0: This is Mental, the podcast to destigmatize mental health. I'm Bobby Tentz, and each week with an inspiring guest, we delve into a factor or condition that influences the mind and how to better manage it. So, here we go. This week, we're talking about moments of pause as a factor in mental health, particularly in our increasingly digital lives. And who better to have this conversation with than Sean Alortian, who is a wonderful content creator that very literally puts moments of pause on people's Instagram and TikTok feeds? Whether that's encouraging people to take a self reflective moment, to become re aware of the surroundings that they've maybe zoned out while they stare into the screen, perhaps to take a few breaths and Many other tools under the field of mindfulness, and you know this is something that I came across absolutely in that way and and in the conversation, he talked about how often that is the reaction that people come across his videos and instantly connect with, "Oh, I needed this I'd kind of gone into like zombie scrolling mode, and this snapped me out of it and I will say I think that's partly due to he is an excellent videographer and the style of his videos is clearly so intentional. And that became a kind of interesting theme of this conversation that so often he really led with, okay, this is the, the creation of it. This is how I kind of came to make each of these videos. And here was how people connected. And here's ways in which I surprised myself how much I needed this for my mental health. And so that way of approaching it, with with process and creation at the forefront, and then the mental health element sometimes coming as a surprise, just how impactful his content has become. Yeah, was really fascinating to see, and maybe as a sign of someone younger than myself, that he is far more tuned into the algorithms and the you know the distinct ways of holding people's limited attention span. So if you can't tell, there's there's still a lot I'm reflecting on from this conversation. And I'm a little bit sleepy, so I'm not sure if I'm making as much sense, because I've done a lot of recording today, and I went to bed too late. So I think that's all I'll say for now, and we'll get into this conversation with Sean in a moment. But first, who's our sponsor? Let's find out.
1: What's up? I'm Sean Ulashin. So I guess my first experience with, you know, thinking about mental health would be probably back when I was maybe 13 or 14. I was a new kid at a new school. I hadn't moved, I just transferred schools. And I can just recall just feeling really lonely and really sad, not very confident in myself. And I was making friends, and I can make friends good enough, you know, I at a new place. But I noticed you know, at home, I just wouldn't feel the same that I would at school. And it started manifesting in a number of ways. You know, I I would spend a lot of time with my mom, we would do a lot of road trips and stuff. And I just noticed myself just kind of hermiting up in my in my body almost, I just wouldn't talk to her, we're very close. And uh, despite that, I just I would find myself being very quiet. A lot of times I would just start crying for no reason. And I didn't really know what was going on, other than you know, being able to describe the feeling as as lonely and just not not confident in myself, and there wasn't really an inciting action that I can that I can nail down. I suppose it was moving schools, but I was pretty aware of, of that. I just think that there was some changes going on inside my head that I I wasn't super conscious of, and that was my first kind of tip off that oh maybe I should start thinking about how I interact with myself mentally. I, I've had a slight bump in with. Self harm and it, I suppose any self harm is serious, but it, it didn't continue for longer than a week. You know, I was just trying to feel something, I suppose, and I, I think that's what what I've from what I've read, that's kind of a, a similar experience. But yeah, the, the numbness I guess that set in after realizing that I was feeling kind of bad was was just kind of jarring for me, and I was trying to do anything to get out of it. That really, I don't want to call it a brief stint because it wasn't, but I feel like I kind of grew into this new version of myself as high school went on and by my senior year I was about, probably about 18 I started really considering how I was taking care of my my mental health in my you know everyday life. Okay. So I guess that's kind of a probably a good a good place to start.
0: Yeah, no thank you for sharing that. And I want to pick up on you know those kind of symptoms you were first experiencing in particular, you know, having times when you'd cry and you'd be around your mother, what would her reaction be like? That? Yeah,
1: I suppose a little bit more background. My mom and I, we run a martial arts studio. So that's why we're in the car so much because it's kind of far away from our house. And that's why we'd, you know, be driving together so much. And her reaction wasn't super. I, I think she was raised in a, in a place that definitely didn't talk about mental health. She was raised in, in the sixties in Hawaii and that during that time, it was it was very, you know, her dad was in the military. So that definitely didn't help. And I just don't remember, not that I'm placing blame on, on either of my parents, but I just don't think that that was part of their upbringing. And while it might be something that's recognized now and that my mom and I have honestly talked about, I, I don't think that 10 years ago, you know, back then it was something that was at the forefront of her mind. So she honestly stayed quiet. She might ask me what what's wrong. And I just wouldn't have the words to respond or, or the articulation to feel like I could respond in a, in a way that would accurately represent my feelings. So she, yeah, a lot of times just, just stayed silent, I think, because she didn't know what to say, not because of anything that I did or because she was mad at me. I, I think she was mm-hmm. just kind of letting me feel those teenage emotions.
0: And in a way, it sounds like you were both in a similar position where you didn't have the tools to have that mm-hmm. conversation and to tackle those kind of difficult emotions You know, equally with the self-harm, I agree, it's a very common experience, and one that oftentimes people don't know why they did it. And I think that can be very frustrating to be in that position, to be like, from the outside, it it can seem quite a drastic move, it can seem a confusing thing to do, and Mm -hmm. it's even more confusing to be in that position and not even know yourself why you did
1: it. Yeah, agree. 100%. I think as I was doing it, I was very conscious of like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. Like not even from like a mental health standpoint, just from like a just being a person, like inflicting that kind of feeling physically on me was just grasping for anything that felt concrete or real. And I think only now can I articulate that idea because I think back then it was so chaotic and it was so Just difficult to articulate to myself, like what I was feeling. I just knew that I was sad. And that's, that's kind of where my mind stopped. Like I just knew that. And it was just this, this like hollowing sadness that I just, I had to find some way to get out of. And I thought that what I was doing was an answer and it wasn't. So, Mm -hmm. yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that's a great way to describe it hollowing sadness. I similarly have experience of depression and like you without knowing what it was from a young age, loneliness Mm. was the nearest feeling I I could articulate. And for a long time, I thought, well, I guess I'm lonely. Like, that's my curse. We just have to be around other people. And it took a long time to realize Mm. that the other people were distracting from the depression. They were the antidote to it because, of course, I'd go back to being on my own. And it probably wasn't, if I'm really honest, until the pandemic. And, you know, though I was living with a flatmate, there were a lot of times I needed to be alone to process what was going on and even be away from her. I think it really took being forced in that position to be like, oh, maybe I'm really finally at a point where I can be okay with my own company. Mm. And turns out I quite like it now. I'm a big extrovert. I didn't think that was an option for me to enjoy my own company, right. honestly.
1: Sure. Yeah, loneliness is, is the only way that I could I could have articulated it. And I found that, you know, just thinking back now, I think that still plays a pretty pivotal role in, in, in who I am. I'm still learning to be okay with myself and my own company. And I think I am now that I have, you know, much more confidence and much more direction and purpose, hopefully. But there's still moments where I'll just, I, I like won't do something. I won't like go out or I won't like, literally this last week, and I had the opportunity to go to the mall by myself because I was killing time waiting for my girlfriend to be done with whatever. And (laughs) I just like that, that the thought of just walking around a mall spending money that I didn't have just didn't sound like fun just by myself, you know, like I would do that with her sure, But like, I just sometimes I still have these moments of like, Oh, I just don't want to do that. And maybe it's more of I'm more comfortable with my, my own company you know, behind closed doors, I guess. Like, I just, I like being with myself in my own room, by you know, with nobody else around me. So, yeah, it's interesting how, you know, experiences growing up really acted as the formative basis for, for who I am today.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And a big part of my work has been campaigning around better mental health education. And I think what mm-hmm. you described with the self-harm is is such a clear articulation of why that is so vital. Because there can be this stigmatizing attitude at times of like, don't tell the kids about mental health, they'll catch it, they'll get ideas and those ideas will be sad. And the heartbreaking thing is the sadness is so often already there from a young age and that's horrible to acknowledge and to read the statistics, but we've got to because oftentimes the alternative is without the tools, maybe it is self-harm. Maybe it's, you know, f- forms of self-medicating with drugs. There's so many dangerous paths we can fall down in lieu of, you know, knowing that there's options and that there's help and that there's hope. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, for sure. I definitely lacked any sort of tools. And sometimes I still feel like I do lack, lack some tools in some departments. But back then it was definitely like, you know, I was so concerned with like be, making good impressions at at this new school and, you know, not coming off as as weak to my mom or my dad and then really just I was kind of in this echo chamber of like weakness and non-acceptance with myself too because I again I just had no idea what I was feeling other than sad and when I thought about that from like a third person perspective I was like can't you just be happier or <laughs> change your mood right
0: and even i think beyond you know the aim of can i just be happy there's also you know can i just be even just that part. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I know that's something yeah. we'll come on to with, with today's theme. You had such a digital upbringing, you were introduced to filmmaking from a young age. And you mm-hmm. know perhaps that was something that became a kind of outlet for your emotions, certainly more recently. Do you mind yes. sharing a bit of how you got into sharing mental health content via filmmaking?
1: Yeah, totally. Well, you know, to talk about that kind of thing, I kind of have to back up to Really, when I got into film and photo, and that was really around the age of eight or nine, my dad showed me a card trick. I promise this is all related. My dad showed me a card <laughs> trick.
0: It's so good.
1: Now, yeah, my dad showed me a card trick. Like every dad has to know one card trick to get into the inner circle of dads. <laughs> and he showed it to me just one day. I remember the moment I was just in my living room and he shows me this card trick and I was just blown away. And I was fully convinced that he was a, a wizard. And, you know, my aerial brain was like, wow, I didn't know that this, is, you can interact with the world this way. So I, I begged him to teach me. And, and for my birthday that year, he got me magic book, a beginner magic book. And I read it cover to cover, learning every trick I could, every card trick, every, you know, close up sleight of hand trick. And then he said, let's make a little video of you doing the card tricks you learn. And I said, okay, cool. Right around this time, this new site called YouTube had just hit the internet and I said okay cool well I, I would love to be on this thing if you upload a video everybody in the world could see it cool so let's do it he helped me start my first YouTube channel and it was called pick a card any card and it was all about teaching magic little magic tricks that I I had learned as a kid he would he would help me shoot and we would turn a lamp on its side so it, it was good lighting on me and then he taught me how to edit and this was all back on tapes and I started uploading videos to YouTube at nine years old or so and it was just this weird moment of building community and I didn't know what I was doing or I didn't like the term creator wasn't even fathomable yet. Like I was just a kid making videos. I started taking this knowledge of film and editing to Instagram once they introduced uploading videos. And I started doing magic and and what's known as cardistry on Instagram. Cardistry is is like juggling with playing cards. It's not necessarily sleight of hand magic. It's it's like skateboarding for your hands. I usually describe (laughs) it. But I started finding you know more community on on Instagram. There was a bunch of kids all over the world that just like to fiddle around with cards in cool ways. And just a bunch of other kids that were just as lonely as me, like practicing card magic in their rooms by themselves. And I started to find kind of a home all around the world. And we would we would be on Skype and FaceTime and we would just be chatting, hanging out. And I started to build a bigger audience on on Instagram. I built my Instagram that was full of magic and cardistry to 50,000 followers of college, and all of a sudden it started to become a, a really viable source of income for me. I was, I hate the term, but micro-influencing. You know, in this cardistry community, there would be playing card brands that would reach out to me, and I would do a video on my page, and they would pay me. And I was, I was like, well, I'm just kind of running a business. So from what started as, you know, my dad showing me a card trick and introducing me to the idea of shooting and editing video and putting it online, turned into this thing that was just a huge part of my identity in my life. And it still is. Like I still do, I, there's a deck of cards right here. I still do cardistry and I still go to conventions and I still speak at these conventions. and I still have a bunch of friends all over the world for a menial object as a deck of cards. But then it, in 2021, I guess at the end of 2020, really, I started to kind of feel like, okay, let's let's shake things up a little bit. Let, I've been used to this audience that I built that I'm very thankful for for years and years. I wonder if I can be anything but cardistry creator? Can I break out of that? And I had seen friends of mine, magician friends of mine, change their life on TikTok. And TikTok is fairly new at this point still. So I committed to starting a brand new TikTok account and posting every single day in 2021 in a brand new niche. I I didn't want to use cardistry and I didn't want to use magic. I wanted to really try to test myself to see if I could build an audience off of something that isn't a physical object. I'm like a deck of cards.
0: And I just want to pause you there because this is all really interesting and wonderfully intellectual. Were you aware at this point that there was something like emotionally pulling you towards making mental health content?
1: I was just about to get to that because it started in an unexpected way. I chose a niche that wasn't industry obviously, and I didn't know what I was going to make. I knew that I couldn't make cooking videos because I can't cook to save my life. I didn't travel enough to like make travel vlogs or anything. But what I've always kind of been good at, and maybe some of it came from the cardistry and magic and the building audiences thing, was encouraging my friends. I felt like I was always the friend to you know encourage my friends to start making videos because I saw me making videos and you know going viral or whatever, and they were like, "I want to do that." And I said, "Well, anyone can do it." Kind of. So I, I, I've just always kind of been this you know motivational type of person. So as I was choosing a niche, I settled on mental health and motivation specifically, I suppose. I was consuming a lot of Gary Vee at the time and I, I thought, well, I can say those same things. I want to make it clear that like I wasn't like, okay, I'm gonna change the landscape of the internet with these videos. I was very clearly like, what happens if I just post every day? Like let us just see. I, I'm fully basing this off of my abilities as a filmmaker and editor to like really build an audience. And then a slight shift happened in in March of, you know, posting every day for a year. I started noticing how many people I was helping, but then also my content shifted to more introspective things. And I started filming my day because the sustainability of setting up your camera every day and making a, a video was not possible with a full-time job, full-time girlfriend, all of this stuff. So I started like just taking <laughs> clips throughout a my full-time girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's what it is, right? You know, so I started just filming clips on my iPhone throughout the day and editing these videos with a little bit of voiceover, just kind of, you know, almost just recapping my day but at the end I would, I would throw in something I learned and the more and more I did this the more I started to realize oh my gosh I I can't believe how much I need these videos because I realized that I was processing emotions that I otherwise wouldn't I was forcing myself with this everyday challenge to be more mindful about my day and and really consider what I was doing and thinking and feeling and how I was going to write that into a voiceover and translate that through video so all of a sudden i went all in on just trying to understand myself and help others as much as i can through videos with the understanding that i'm i'm for sure not an expert i'm just a i'm uh, at the time i was 23 just like trying to figure life out as a lot of us are and if i could be a little spark of information or mindfulness in your day then that's a that's a win in my book so at the, at the beginning of 2021 i started with zero and at the end of the year i ended with about 800,000 followers. And, you know, more than half of that year was very intentional and very, very much like, I need to do this for me and I need to understand what I'm feeling and how I'm feeling. And then how can I distill this information, what I've learned to, you know, audiences and, and how can I be of service to, to, to someone just scrolling on their phone? Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. And now we're here, I suppose. That's the, that's the shorter version.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that. I love that for you. And, this is something that fascinates me a lot, right? That I find a lot in the mental health space is when people create the content that they needed at the time. And sometimes they go into it knowingly, and a lot of times they don't. It, and it gives me a lot of hope, really, that I'm a very kind of glass half full person. I think to an extent, that's one of the things that's helped me survive depression over the years of like sometimes aggressively being able to find the positive, like, I will. There will be one somewhere. I need there to be one. And this is a lovely example of that, where a lot of times people find gaps that they need, and they can, in doing so, often, I think, partly on the route to kind of self-love and figuring out, you know, what we need for our mental health can be like, okay, I'm, I'm feeling that this is relevant. I'm feeling that this is needed. Let me kind of explore that for everyone else, and along the way where then like I really needed it too. Why is that mm. surprising?
1: It truly took me by surprise because I was fully ready to you know commit to this year of posting and just like like the feeling of like a bunch of followers coming in, obviously is like uh, it just taps that dopamine, and I was like, oh, I just need more of that, but then when I started responding emotionally to my own content in the least narcissistic way possible, I was pleasantly surprised with like, wow, maybe this can be somewhat therapeutic to me as I work through my emotions. You know, I now have a purpose to put them into videos and hopefully help some other people my age that are going through a similar thing. So yeah, I don't think I realized it until, you know, now really in looking at it in hindsight, but that shift from experiment to purposeful action was like such a wonderful thing that happened to me because it's completely changed my life as an artist, even it just it was like a holistically good experience for me to have that realization,
0: yeah, and also when you reflect how much do you think of the medium of your art and creativity as an outlet and and maybe even something that is a way to to frame how you're viewed, right that you grew up with a certain amount of self consciousness, and still some of that persists so that it can be easier to be on your own at home versus be on your own and witnessed in a mall and all the additional kind of social pressures that we can perceive with that. Do you think Mm -hmm. that was part of the process of like introducing yourself in a world and, and finding out where you fit in it?
1: I think only now, only, you know, in the recent months has that been a huge factor. Back when I was doing the everyday thing, I was really concerned with just putting my authentic self on the internet and authentic storytelling on the internet. And that was done through you know, iPhone filmmaking and just really casual iPhone clips and not really crazy editing. But now I'm totally thinking about how I'm framing myself and how, how filmmaking and editing can be an outlet for me, but also more importantly, how I'm presented. I've recently been working with a, a business partner of mine thinking about, you know, the future of my Instagram and where I guess where that's going. And we had a conversation just last week that was about the implications of building a wide audience and how authenticity plays a role in my life now because i'm i'm very solid on my process and i'm very solid on the kinds of videos i make so now i can kind of focus on how i'm perceived and i think naturally i i've done a good job by my standards of putting myself as authentically as i can out there however i do think that The videos that I post are idealized versions of myself. It's still very much me, but it's a version of me that I would love to be every single day. It's this outgoing, extroverted, articulate, intelligent, friendly face that, you know, if I were to be in the same room as this person that I was posting, I would just, I would just be overjoyed. So if I could step into the character that I'm posting online, if I could bring that online version of myself out into me every single day, then. That is the full realization of who I am, I think.
0: Because it's not yeah. easy to I, think of the filmmaking process and all the factors, the lighting, the sound, you know, the parameters you have to work through on a phone, the time parameters, keeping people mm-hmm. engaged with graphics. There's a lot to consider there at the same time that you're also trying to be like, Okay, how do I find my authenticity between this and maybe having to take five ticks of me saying the same thing? Like I still yeah. wanna be be genuine, even though there is something innately performative in this. And I think this is something that, you know, young people are navigating more than ever Mm -hmm. and a big part of why your content is so necessary. So if people are, you know, unfamiliar, it's a lot of the work that you do now, right, is you create these kind of moments of pause, as I describe them, where people come across a video of yours on their feed and you encourage them, whether it's like taking a breath whether it's reflecting on how they're feeling, whether it's doing like a, an exercise to kind of change their perception or give them a new idea on how to view themselves or the world. Over time, seeing content like that, I think is so helpful. And in the way you present it, I think you're acutely aware how lacking that is on a feed that could be so full with advertising and things that are algorithmically tuned in order to sell you something or in order to you know, get you to follow, get you to listen to something get you to consume further content, it is refreshing to be like, this content is here to make you feel
1: better in oh, this moment. Yeah. I appreciate, I appreciate that a lot. And yeah, it, you know, a lot of that comes from my upbringing as well. I was the last person to get an iPhone. Like it feels like in the world, but I definitely <laughs> my friend group. I, I mean,
0: me too. I was rocking with the Nokia for, for longer than makes sense.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I remember the moment the iPhone was introduced and I was like, I got to have that. And then all my friends got it. And my parents were just so resistant to the idea of this constant connection. And I couldn't understand why. I, you know, at the time I'm, I'm 12 years old and I was, I was growing into this, like, you know, I was trying to grow into these more and more social settings. And, you know, my friend groups and the whatever hierarchy was being formed there. And I didn't want to be at the bottom. And I knew that having the latest tech and the latest cell phone would make me cooler. So, you know, to have my parents how, be how like, do you no, feel about we're not that. Doing-
0: I hate that that's a consideration for young people, that I need to have certain possessions in order to fit in.
1: Yeah. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, of course, but I think it's an easy way to quantify your worth. I don't like putting it as worth because it's not really your worth. But when you're 12 and 13, of course it's your worth. You know, it's like, do you have the coolest thing? No? Okay, well, then that doesn't make you cool
0: and how much of that do you think is real in in friend groups in the lives of young people now versus like a part of the marketing
1: man and, and the in the lives of young people now i can only imagine it's it's a heightened version of what my generation went through at that age just because of honestly internet culture and how much you know how much you see celebrities and your friends doing these idealized things and having these expensive material objects and like Play, there's so much self-worth and emphasis that's placed on you know how how much I suppose money you have and how much opportunity you have to have these things that have been deemed cool by society. I don't think any of it is real, but it's real in the sense that it exists and is pervasive every single day, especially in the lives and the minds of, of high schoolers these days. I, I can only get, yeah, I'm you know I'm 25 now, which I'm not like the oldest person, but I can imagine. You know, if it was like that for me when I was a kid, I can only imagine it's it's a heightened version now.
0: Oh, that's my shit. That concept of like faux reality of like, is it real when it's not real, but enough people believe it is that we act accordingly.
1: Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, that's just, that's the basis of marketing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> just like FOMO and making people feel left out or that they need something to feel a certain way or to be a certain way. So anyway, yeah, back back to, you know, the content that I make now is, is, I only had this realization recently, but the content that I make now, these moments of mindfulness have have totally been informed by my parents and my mom, you know, making me do push-ups during a commercial break on our favorite TV show. That's part of the martial arts thing too. But it was also like, you know, just this complete trying to blind me from any sort of advertising or influence from the internet or modern entertainment, I suppose. And, you know, my parents, despite them being from vastly different generations than... Than me and and you know my peers and everything, they had this awareness, maybe unbeknownst to them, how detrimental constant connection could be. I, I don't even think that they could articulate that, but they just knew that the tools that were being handed to us as a culture and as a society, especially in the formative years of 12 and 13, I guess, I guess it was rather when iPhone and stuff came out. My mom just had this awareness that maybe this isn't the best thing to carry around in your pocket. Yeah. And, you know, I, got, I have to give them credit and thank them for that because it's made me into the content creator I am today because that's totally why I want to give people these moments of mindfulness is because of the awareness of the detrimental nature of of these tools that we have.
0: Yeah, of constant connection. And I saw you talk about that on a video recently where you were exploring this concept of like on one hand, We've got this opportunity to connect at any point. We can constantly consume content from people we look up to all over the world, irrespective of like time zones, country barriers. We can have all yeah. our, you know, friends photographed and making videos and we've got that access to socializing all the time, but it's uh it's a faux connection. It's like mass produced. It's not, you know, for us, even if it's our friends, it's it's everyone trying to keep up with making this digital version of themselves and blasting it out, you know, performing, this is who I think I should be to the world. Then you're doing the comparison to your behind the scenes, to their, you know, their storefront. And it is exhausting. And it's it's lovely to hear that it's very cool of your parents that they saw a lot of that, you know, that it was very new and technology was advancing so much. And they were like, I don't know about all this. I don't know about all this kind of getting home and closing the door and and you're not able to at any point turn off your social life. And, you know, this is something I'm sure you can relate to. I definitely feel at times the need to just to do that when you feel overwhelmed to create that barrier. And for a lot of people, that's like not responding to messages, right? Mm. That we all have this awareness that everyone's got their phone with them pretty much all the time. So if they're awake, it's probably next to them or in their pocket, or even just on the table looking up at them, right? And yet, we can't keep up with that. You know, you can see that someone's active, but increasingly we're getting to a point where we're not expecting the immediate response. Right. Because we can't do it. We can't just constantly be, like, active and contactable like that.
1: Yeah. You know, the more and more I make these videos, the more I'm kind of exploring this, like, it sounds so, like, fake deep, but this like dystopian state that we're heading towards, you know, like I've, you know, it's just the way the world's going. It's sad of course, but like it's, it's, we need them as much as we don't need them. These devices, right? Like it's, it's a big part. I mean, it's like the biggest part of culture and society today is, is information and connection and stuff. And it just sucks that we need that. Like it, it is no, no biological being on a planet is supposed to be, a part of a hive mind like that has never got any sci-fi movie where that's a thing is has never gone well and <laughs> it, it's you know just like intentionally connecting to these things and you know as much as we can try to put barriers up it's just more and more part of our lives every single day and you know the most i can do i suppose is be a, a, a gentle reminder and a, a small moment of awareness mm-hmm. you know as you're talking about as these devices become more and more of a, a part of our day, you know, it's the most I can do to, to just be a moment of, of awareness. As you were talking about, you know, everyone has these in their pockets and, you know, you, everyone's aware that everyone is on these at all times. I thought about a video I made recently where I'm just instructing you to switch your phone from hand to hand and turn it over and look at it. And it's, I didn't expect that video to like perform well. I kind of came up with it on a whim, but The response that I got from it was like people are almost waking up to this idea that this is like such a silly little thing that we do every single day. We sit and we don't move and we barely breathe and we move our thumb over and over. And that's how we get stimulation. Like that's what this is. And it's on a little black box that you keep in your pocket. If you were an alien and I Mm -hmm. were to tell you, oh yeah, when we, when human beings want to be happy, we sit around by ourselves normally or sometimes in a group of people and we take out the thing that we carry around in our pocket and about, it's about seven inches big. And we move our thumb back and forth across the screen. Sometimes we double tap. And that's that's the extent of our stimulation. Like that can
0: oh yeah. You
1: imagine like that's that's insane to me.
0: If we feel you know? lonely, we have a look at other people spending time together.
1: <gasps> exactly. And yeah. then it doesn't so,
0: necessarily make us feel any better. And then maybe we really like it, or maybe we feel self-conscious for liking something we weren't invited right. to. Do. It's increasingly so mind-blowing and so all-encompassing. And I think you're right, boundaries are a big part of it. So I want to ask you about, first of all, what you find in creating these moments of pause for yourself and for your audience, what the kind of reaction is, what the effect you, you see there mental health-wise.
1: You know, making these videos has become just as much a thing that I need as much as I think my audience needs it, just because I live on my phone. Like, I, as a creator who hosts every single day on an app, with an audience that is increasingly getting bigger and bigger. I'm constantly in my phone, in my email, looking for collaboration opportunities, in my analytics, for making sure I'm still in the green. It's kind of this weird, ironic relationship that I personally have with my phone. You know, my whole thing is being a voice of authority for digital mindfulness. And I'm maybe one of the least mindful people sometimes. You know, when I'm looking at the business end, I suppose, of of this kind of thing.
0: Is that scary for you ever that you have to in order to get your content seen and support other people's mindfulness, you have to spend so much time like scrolling yourself, researching, yeah. staring at analytics, you know, arguably mm-hmm. being on your phone more in order to empower others to be on it less.
1: Yeah, it's classically tragic, right? Like it's, <laughs> I'm, I'm hopefully giving people what I ultimately can't give myself, you know, it's just, when I think about it, it does get kind of sad. But I'm, That's very Bo you know, I'm, Burnham. I, Do you know Bo Burnham, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, the, he's half of my personality. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, he has a, a special called Happy, right? And there's a line in one of his tracks where he talks about trying to give the audience what he can't give himself. And it's implied that it's exactly. happiness.
1: It's exactly what it is. And I think that that theme is pretty common and theme in any artist, you know, that is acting as a, a means of outlet, I guess, for any audience. But even making those videos, those moments of pause, you know, are just as reflective, if not more reflective for me. You know, when I set up my filming days and when I'm getting ready for a a session, I ensure that I have a good majority of those moments of pause because even writing the script to them and, you know, doing them on camera is the act of taking part in those moments. I always do multiple takes of every single video I do. So sometimes, in an hour, I'll have sixty moments of pause because I can't get the right take. So, in a silly kind of way, making those videos is the meditation I need before I go. You know, dive back into my phone and the analytics. I, I will say it's kind of it's. I've very much limited my traditional quote unquote social media scrolling because when I am on my phone, it is responding to people and it's looking at numbers and stuff. And I'm not necessarily scrolling through feeds, but at the same time, it just feels odd that I'm just sitting there like staring at the thing that i'm telling you to get off of, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, i mean those those moments of mindfulness are are very important to me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, i was looking into this and it's something that's so widely acknowledged, right? For example, the US Organization for Mental Health First Aid has compiled a lot of research into this, and the studies they found showed that practicing breathing exercises and mindfulness can lead to better mental health and positive emotions. And alleviate stress and depression. Breathing exercises also allow you to think more clearly and reduce feelings of anxiety. And who doesn't want all that? And the other thing I wanted to ask you about that you mentioned earlier was boundaries and how important they are. You know, and we've talked about before on the show around social media, like maybe it's restricting the time you're on it. For me, getting off certain apps like Facebook is one that I've realized not helpful for my mental health, and you know, I I no longer have it. And yet it is difficult to hold those boundaries. Another one I have is I don't have WhatsApp. I used to have it. I kind of have a defunct version of it. I don't use it. It's mm. not even connected to my main phone number. I get pushback from that all the time. People constantly want to sell me the concept of using WhatsApp. A lot of my friends, I'm the only person they use the text app with. And mm. yet I think it's partly the dyslexia that makes that boundary easier for me, where I've got the additional reason of typing a lot is extra exhausting for me. And maybe that makes it easier to set the boundaries there. Because I'd say a lot of the time, my messaging with even my closest friends is either kind of quick interactions of, oh, how was that work project? And they tell me how they felt about it. I reflect back. And it's it's kind of these brief interactions. Or it's When are we meeting up? Let's make a plan. Let's make a plan now. (laughs) When when am I seeing you for real? Or when are we speaking on the phone? When are we having a proper chat? Because I know how much that's what I really crave. So for you, what kind of boundaries do you find for your own mental health?
1: Yeah, you know, because I, 75% of my waking hours are just staring at a phone or for work. I'm a video editor, so I'm always looking at a screen. So I think, setting intention all the time when I get home from work to read a book or just sometimes I'll just sit like a crazy person just in the middle of my floor, just, just being and breathing and meditating and stuff. No, you know, know, I know
0: you're being funny, but like, I'm glad you bring up the point because I think in our, our kind of hyper productive focus world, there is that pressure to be like, but what have I done? Not just today, Maybe. it's what have I done in the last hour? What am I doing now? Sure. If I'm watching Netflix, can I also be checking my emails at the same time? Right. For who? Right? This kind yeah, of crowdsourced right. feeling that we're not enough unless mm. we're constantly productive. And because yeah. I did the same. I used to like demonize in myself where I would like daydream and I'd be like, mm. You've lost 10 minutes. You could have done something. Thinking is fine. Thinking is something. Yeah. We need to daydream yeah. to be creative. Of course.
1: Yeah, it's okay to just be. But I think, you know, it, I'm sitting in those moments with the awareness of like, man, I cannot look at a, another screen. Otherwise, I'll explode. Because like, it's just too, it's not even, you know, I'm not even being stimulated by like a feed. It's like literally just, I can't focus on something that's closer than two feet. Just give me a break from that. Mm-hmm. You know, my eyes are going. So yeah, I I think having the awareness of what you're doing and like, what you're doing specifically when you're on your phone is something that has helped me create boundaries because just going back to that analogy of like explaining to an alien hey you know if an alien is like what do you guys do for fun the answer is like we sit around and look at a little thing that we keep in our pockets forever like that of course is other things but that's such a big part so like it's the awareness of like that's a big part of everyone's life yeah, yeah the boundary is set is set when I whenever I have a chance to breathe really from from work you know it's just it's just being by myself and sitting with myself and and just be just being that's all it is
0: yeah and maybe i'm aging myself here but sometimes i think about the phone stuff and i'm like is the phone the tamagotchi or are we the tamagotchi are we just there being like i'm feeling hungry but i can't be bothered to make food let me find a food video or like I'm a a little bit sad. What have I got to to make me laugh? Like it's how much of that is like, okay, what buttons can I press in myself via this box? And I think it's so vital to be conscious of that. You Mm -hmm. know, another thing I've heard you talk about is filming yourself, which I'd never thought of, like putting the phone there and filming yourself while you work. I think that would stress me out a bit because I'm like, I don't like to be Seen a lot of the time because I, yeah, I, I have yeah, to yeah. perform to the phone, but you know you talked about it as a way of like well, then your phone is already doing something, right. and so there's that that reason why you can't immediately kind of autopilot go to it, and then also you have yeah. that video to watch a time lapse and be like, See, you can work, you can sit there and not play on the phone,
1: yeah, yeah, it's you know I've been doing I think a lot of people just do this naturally. But I've been doing that for years and years. And it started because in college, this must have been halfway through college, I, I recorded a video on my laptop's webcam of me just explaining my day. I do this thing at the end of the day that I call captain's logs where I just turn on my webcam and I just explain just so I can remember every single day. That's all another story. Anyway, I got done with one of these captain's logs where I just got done just recapping my day and these are just for me. I signed off on my little log. And I turned to my other desktop computer, separate from my laptop, and I just started, I was like on Reddit or something. And an hour and a half later, I looked back at my laptop, and the green light was still going, and photo booths was still recording. And I was like, oh my gosh, so I hit stop. And I looked back at this 90 minutes of footage of me, and it's literally just me staring at the screen and just kind of like chuckling every so often. And it was this really weird, like, out of body realization that like, this is... Entertainment, you know, like this is modern entertainment. What I was doing was modern entertainment, so I started thinking about like, okay, well, like you know now these things are such a big part of our lives, and they take over our you know our day. How can we intentionally set a boundary and and make them work for us? Yeah. And the answer was just time lapsing. I mean, they've got this brilliant built in feature that we can just use not only as a way to physically separate yourself from your phone and put it in a place that is farther away from you. But it's also doing something. And if you interrupt that, then you completely mess up the process. It's an awesome thing to look back on and see how fast you're working because of the time lapse. But it's also like how long you can work when you're not distracted by a thing that buzzes or by a ding or by a notification. Like, it's so cool. Mm-hmm. And just building up that bank of of videos is just such a, it's like a gift for yourself that well, you can Well, it's look also back on. kind
0: of like re-upping our attention span, right? Because supposedly that's mm-hmm. shorter than ever. And that's a big reason why TikTok seems to hit because it it's, you know, using that against us in a way. As we start to wrap up then, if people want to find your work, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are intrigued to see the videos we've talked so much about. Where can they find you?
1: Yeah, I'm most active on on Instagram these days, and that is just at Sean Ulaşin, S-E-A-N. And then Ulash is O-U-L-A-S-H-I-N. Put those together and you got Sean Ulashin. That's my handle. It's a great way to get in touch with me. I try to get back to every message I see. So shoot me a message if, if you want to just chat about stuff or if you have any questions. I'm an open book. I don't really believe in keeping information. But that would probably be the best the best place to reach me.
0: Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, yeah. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening. For a list of our recommended resources, visit mentalpodcast.co.uk and remember we are in no way a substitute for qualified counselling or other mental health support. Our show is edited and produced by the brilliant Pete Murta with licensed music by Netsky. Links in the description. Speak to you next Thursday and remember you are enough.